The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today it is an absolute honor to welcome Maria Rodale. She is the CEO and chairman of Rodale Inc., the world's largest multimedia company focused on health, wellness, and the environment. She has won numerous awards, including the 2004 National Audubon Society's Rachel Carson Award and the 2007 United Nations Population Funds Award for the Health and Dignity of Women. She is the co-chair of the Rodale Institute, a nonprofit that has been dedicated to pioneering organic farming through research and outreach to farmers, scientists, and consumers for over 60 years. And what we're going to be talking about today is her terrific book. She is the author of Organic Manifesto, How Organic Farming Can Heal Our Planet, Feed the World, and Keep Us Safe. Maria, welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'll be honest with you, I had to look up the word manifesto. You know, what does that mean exactly? And the dictionary that I have says it's a public declaration of intentions, motives, or views. Why did you write this book? Well, I grew up in the organic community. My grandfather was the founder of the organic movement, and people assumed that I knew more than I did, and I felt like I should know more than I did. And so I I just had, I came from a place of, I wanted to answer questions for myself and understand the connections between organic food and our health and the environment. And the more I started researching and reading and delving into the history, kind of the more manifesto-y I started feeling. Mm -hmm. And it became clear that I needed to make a powerful statement about this and be very clear and strong about the message because it's one that I think, I believe every every person on this planet has a right to understand and know. I agree with you. And I'll tell you, you know, being a dietitian, we were not trained to understand different methods of farming. And so I too came to the same point when I learned about the power of simply farming organically to cure many of the ills in the world. You have a marvelous forward here from Eric Schlosser who describes some of the atrocities that are going on with regard to our misconceptions about man's domination over nature. And he writes in the introduction or the forward, he says, at the heart of the organic movement is a belief in the interconnectedness of things. And you do a beautiful job throughout the book making those connections for people. Tell me, what were some of your biggest aha moments as you were doing the research for this book? Well, it actually gets to more of the philosophy of how we are in this situation to begin with, which is something that fascinates me. And the idea that we can control nature, in fact, we need to control nature because nature is frightening, and that we the way to control it is to break it down into bits and pieces and then figure it out and solve it. And, you know, that has led to very kind of deeply narrow way of looking at all sorts of things, whether it's mm-hmm. DNA or chemicals in terms of growing food 
or what what nutrition is to a, to a person, it's all very narrowly defined and kind of reduced to a little piece. But you really can't understand how things work until you put all those pieces together like a puzzle and look at the whole picture. And so to me, the, the big aha was how when you look at that big picture, when you step back and look at everything from the history of how chemicals got started and what, you know, what like bird poop and chili has to do with that. <laughs> right. Um, and, and then how medicine evolved. It's just, to me, it's all fascinating how it all comes together and creates a very different view of things than maybe we have as we go through our daily lives or we learn in school about what, what's important and how the world really works. Well, I think your use of the word puzzle is a really nice visual because that's the way I see it too. I think in our colleges and universities, we tend to examine things in a very silo kind of way. We study one area, but we don't look at the big piece and see how actually instead of silos, those are really pieces of a puzzle, of a big jigsaw puzzle. And in the beginning of the book, in part one, and I should let our readers know that the book is divided into three parts, and that which is followed by an epilogue and a wonderful resource. And uh, it, this book is extremely well researched, and anyone can go back and double check and do their little fact checking if they must. But it's a highly credible book, and it's divided into three parts, which include the great chemical experiment in which we are all guinea pigs. That's a frightening thought. Part two, the torturous journey to our extinction, which looks at how the chemicals that we use in agriculture today affect all of us, how we've been betrayed, really, by the industry. And I love, by the way, too, Maria, the way you, you talk about the government being us, and we'll get to that. But And then part three is this age of healing. So you give us solutions, and you tell us, I love the way you you talk about organic farming as modern Hallelujah. We need to be looking at organic as a modern way of farming and certainly as a way to heal the planet. So why don't we just go through the book piece by piece and let's talk about this great chemical experiment. You describe going on a trip with your father in the station wagon and you stop at an apple orchard and you press apples and it's a wonderful world. And then fast forward several decades and that orchard is now a housing development and the water is contaminated, and we're not connecting the dots about how that water became contaminated. We are guinea pigs. Tell me a little bit about this section of the book and what really jumped out for you. Well, you know, yeah, a lot of people when you say, and this gets back to the the modern organic farming, when you talk about organic farming, they say, oh, that old-fashioned stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. back in in the day, you know, where it was, like, hard and, and, you know, nobody could, could make a living and chemicals were seen as this big modern, you know, a lot of people think it started with World War II and, and they associate it with the 50s as being kind of the time when America really took off. But what I found when I researched the history of chemicals in agriculture is that it goes way back. For instance, in the 20s, lead arsenic was massively sprayed on on orchards all over the country, and children actually were dying of lead poisoning and arsenic poisoning from eating apples. It was a huge scandal at the time. And then, you know, they put some controls in, and and um, actually DDT was invented instead as, a you know, as the next miracle cure to pest problems. 
first of all, I was shocked that this was the first I learned about you know the lead arsenic contamination. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a, as a culture, we forget about these things. We just pretend that they never happened. Right. But the fact is that lead and that arsenic is still in the soil. It doesn't go away. It mm-hmm. does. It's still there. So we can forget about it, but our bodies don't forget about it. Our bodies are absorbing it and having to deal with it. And the same thing is happening over and over, whether it was the DDT that followed or the atrazine that's in the soil now and that's even increasing in use and Roundup. So we tend to not want to think about it until it's too late when that that's when, you know, our kids are diagnosed with autism or asthma or cancer. And then you don't want to think, oh, it was my fault because I fed my kids cheaper conventional foods and I didn't buy organic. So there's this massive kind of denial that's happening, and the government is part of that denial. Absolutely. Um, And the media that goes along with it, you mentioned a brochure that you found, and I'm very much intrigued by the way we're sold on different you sold different products or sold different methods of farming. And you mentioned the 1950s brochure that talks about man against soil. And this is in the 1950s, the DuPont farm chemical. And I just am amazed at this whole notion of we're, here we are again against nature. And yet organic farming, and I've, of course, looked at the farming trial that has been going on for, well, I guess since 1981, your father started that the farming systems trial at Rodale Institute that found incredible differences in soil and then incredible differences in the nutritional value of foods as a result of the better quality of soil. You talk about the carbon sequestration potential of organic farming, and yet all of that flies in the face of these very effective messages that it's man against nature, man against soil. How do we reverse that way of thinking? Well, I mean, I think the first thing is to realize that, and I'm in the media business by day, so I can say this, that the chemical companies, first of all, they are so profitable. They make so much money off of selling these poisons to farmers Mm -hmm. and to us that they can afford to spend massive amounts of money on press releases, lobbying, information campaigns, you know, trade ad campaigns that you don't even realize are coming from these companies. They just seem, they feel so good and they make, you know, so most journalists, very few will dig deeper than, than the first few layers. They look at what's out there and what's out. So chemical companies have done a really good job of like plastering the universe with the concept that organic farming can't feed the world. Organic food is too expensive. It's more expensive. There's not enough land. These are myths. Mm -hmm. They've, heavily researched to find out what people's fear and trigger points are, mm-hmm. and then they craft their messaging to, to appeal to that. So, you know, I can guarantee you, you know, nine out of ten interviews I do, the first question a journalist is going to ask is, why is organic food so much more expensive? And they haven't even checked out whether that's true or not. And according to the USDA, it's not true. Mm-hmm. It's not true. Kathleen Merrigan herself will say, it is not true that organic food is more expensive. Well, and it's especially not more expensive when you do a little full-cost accounting and right. start figuring in the cost of the poisoned water. Oh, now I have to put a, a water filter. Did you know that the president's 
Cancer Panel Report that came out in April 2010 actually recommended that all Americans put a filter on their water? Yeah, no, no, that, that report came out after my book was published. Right. So I, I couldn't reference it in the book, but it basically validated almost everything I said. Exactly. And it was like, you know, it was like a dead weight in terms of the media. Nobody picked it up. And I think it's because it just was too overwhelming in terms of negativity towards chemicals. And, you know, it, most journalists are not prepared to really delve into things that deeply and pull it apart and explain it in a way that will get people excited and interested. Yeah. Um, so we have hard work in front of us. I, I often think that the the first answer, in addition to campaign finance reform and getting the money out of our policies, is to really teach people how to think critically. And yeah. the loss of many of our, the size of many of our media markets means that reporters don't have the time to really ask or learn to ask those more important questions and scratch beneath the surface of those fancy press releases that we see every day. Right. And, well, and a lot of times their job is to get eyeballs and, and traffic, and people don't really want to hear the bad news. They want to hear, well, unless it's about what somebody's wearing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like I said, we have a lot of work to do to try to pull that curtain back, sort of like the Wizard of Oz, you know. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's great. There are great journalists out there doing really awesome work, and they have really good followings. And and you know, I would encourage people to really. The great thing about the media landscape now is you can you know you can really look past the kind of the behemoths and find the reporters who are really doing the the hard work, and you should. Follow them. Follow them on Twitter. Support them because they're probably not getting paid very much. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're just joining us, we are speaking with Maria Rodale. She is the CEO and chairman of Rodale, Inc., the largest multimedia company focused on health, wellness, and the environment. She is a numerous award winner. Uh, I think most notably, you must be very proud of the Rachel Carson Award that you won from the National Audubon Society. And I so, am. Thank you. Yeah, she's one of our early heroes. And also, uh, Maria is the author of The Organic Manifesto, How Organic Farming Can Heal Our Planet, Feed the World, and Keep Us Safe. And that's the book we're talking about today. I think that this is probably one of the most important books for people to read who want to understand what organic food and farming is all about. You truly do cut through the confusion and so much of the misinformation in which we swim. Of all the misinformation that's out there, since we're on that topic, is there one message out there that you really want to stop? I mean, I think when I wrote the book, the biggest message I wanted to stop was that organic farming can't feed the world because it can. And in fact, you know, there's now so much evidence that it's the only thing that can feed the world. Exactly. Uh, what I found, I sort of stole a technique from business and, and um, did focus groups with chemical farmers. Mm. And what I found is that that is the message they are receiving from the chemical companies mm-hmm. in order to convince them to continue using chemicals. Mm-hmm. And that's the source of that rumor, basically. So... Yes, organic farming can feed the world, and in fact, it's the only thing that can feed the world if we want to stay in the world for a long time. I really like the way you talk early in the book about sustainability versus regeneration. 
mm-hmm. because sustainability is a word that's certainly been co-opted. And yet this idea of regenerating is truly powerful and really defines organic farming to me In if I had to distill it to a word. Mm-hmm. Well, my father felt the same way. He, he, you know, really spent his whole life struggling to figure out not just how to communicate, but how to understand what organic farming really is and, and can do. And before he died, you know, he was killed in a, in a car accident. I mean, he said to me at one point, if there's one word that defines my life, it's regeneration. And mm-hmm. that is the answer to everything. And people at the time were like, regeneration, what does that mean? Well, it, it's simple. It just means that things get better. Mm-hmm. They don't just sustain and stay the same. They definitely don't get worse. Things get better. Mm-hmm. When you regenerate something, you heal it. You improve it. And when you heal it and improve it, you heal and improve yourself and your family and your world and the water quality and the atmosphere and mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. You also talk about economics in terms of, hey, we have to stop thinking about always on a, a straight course to growth and say, wait a second, let's change our economic measurements to look at, are we secure? Do we have clean water? Do we have, what is our infant mortality rate? And the fact that children are being diagnosed today with more asthma and more autism, it's frightening, isn't it? It really is. And again, I finished this book before the economic crisis was kind of happening as I wrote it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, we now know two years later, it's, it hasn't gotten better. And um, if anything, you know, it's gotten worse. And our economic model of growth at any cost in perpetuity, we know now, does not work. And when something doesn't work, I say, well, you know, what does work? Well, nature works. How, how, what, was, what does nature do? Well, nature looks at cycles. Nature, you know, knows that there's when times are good, <laughs> you, know, you harvest and you put things away for when, uh, when, you know, when the darkness comes, when winter comes. And so we need to really reconnect with nature understand those rhythms and work with them rather than fight them. How do you deal with people who, you you mentioned in your book the whole issue of defining all of these words and terms. I I get this question a lot. Is organic better than local or is local better than organic, right? How do you answer that question? Uh, That's one of my favorite questions because, first of all, from a scientific standpoint, I have come to the footnoted and exact answer that organic is better than local. It's better for tons of reasons, but the most important reason is a moral reason, and that is that everything is local to somebody somewhere. Exactly. So, first of all, why would you want to poison your own community (laughs) with chemicals locally? And then second of all, why would you want to poison somebody else's community? So organic is better, period. Organic and local is awesome. Right. And the gold standard. I agree. There shouldn't be a contradiction in that. Well, I'm asked this question a lot, and I am relieved to know that I'm answering it the same way you do. (laughs) And I can tell you that when I do answer it that way, you know, you see these eyebrows raised. And because... You know, all of a sudden you're talking about, whoa, this is the local community, and it's very important. And what I say in my response is, I don't want local pesticides in my watershed. 
right. nor do I want to poison someone else's child because I think I'm getting, I think I'm getting the cheaper produce, say, at the market. I have right. to tell you too, and I want our listeners to know that the farming systems trial that is available on the Rodale website, and that's www.rodale.org. If anyone is pressing you to find information about the power of organic farming, this research trial is terrific, and there are some great reports that have come out of this research. I agree, Maria. There are so many reports now coming out that say organic farming or agroecological farming methods is the only way to feed the world, and yet that's not the message that we get in mainstream media. Right. Um, it's, it's actually RodaleInstitute.org. Oh, thank you. Okay, I wanted to ask you, there are several websites. So there's your website, MariasFarmCountryKitchen.com, which is right. a wonderful compilation of food, gardening recipes, and I love your random thoughts, by the way, on there. <laughs> uh, for everything from forgiveness to breastfeeding, that's good. And then there's Rodale.org, and then there's Rodale Institute. Well, there's Rodale.com, which is a daily news, health and environmental news site. Okay. Which is a great resource to find out, you know, the latest. I mean, it's it's really the compilation of all the news that we're seeing regarding health and the environment. Then if you want information on the farming systems trial or the scientific research that's happening, that is rodaleinstitute.org. Perfect. All right. So no one should have to question again whether or not organic farming can feed the world. We know, indeed, that it can. You also have a wonderful chapter in here titled The Truth About Modern Organic Farming. And you list many of the myths and you speak about the truth in comparison. You talk about, I love this one, about labor inputs. Oh, my goodness, they're approximately 15% higher in an organic farming system. And then the, the sentence afterwards, in other words, organic farming creates jobs. Green <laughs> jobs, right? Nice jobs outdoors. Yes. which so many, And, you know, interestingly, that's why so many young people want to pursue farming. They right. like to be outside. Who doesn't, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's why you can't separate economics from this whole question because when people say, oh, I just want to buy the cheapest food, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to go to Walmart and buy it. And Walmart, I'm not picking on Walmart because they are doing a lot in the organic space, which is great. But if you just say, I want the cheapest food, what people don't always realize is that that's sending jobs overseas. That's taking people's pay and turning it into chemicals. The reason chemical farmers like chemicals is because it means they don't have to hire people. Mm -hmm. You don't have to, like, manage people. You just spray the chemicals Mm -hmm. and it's said and done. So when you're choosing that cheap conventional chemical food, your decision has a ripple for thousands of miles and thousands of years. Mm-hmm. We have about five minutes left, and I want to make sure that I give you a chance to pull things out of this book that you want to talk about. <laughs> I happened, if, if, you're, if you're thinking, hmm, what am I going to talk about, I can direct you to the five solutions that might save us, and I want to let our listeners know that I love this chapter. But what do you want to pull out of this book and l- make sure our listeners know? Well, I mean, 
I think to me, first of all, I accomplished with the book what I meant to accomplish, which is I ended the confusion both for myself and I think for people who are willing to read it. I think that the solutions, you know, there's a lot of in-depth solutions and strategic and policy solutions, but it, it really comes down to the simple truth that if you want to keep yourself healthy, your family healthy, if you want to solve the climate crisis, have clean water, save animals from extinction, protect by all the things that like, you know, all those TV commercials, you know, other than like the animal rescue TV commercials, all the things that appeal to your heart mm-hmm. that you want to do, really it comes back to when the choices that you make and how you live your daily life. And the number one choice that has the biggest ripple effect on all these things is the food you eat and the food you buy and the food you grow and how you manage your your lawn and your landscape and your intake of of um or your lack of intake of chemicals. You know, so I think we tend to sometimes feel powerless and like, mm-hmm. oh, what can I do? The problem's so big. But just doing that one thing, if enough people do that one thing that's how how you create change. That's how we're going to save, you know, save the planet and save humanity and clean up the environment and solve the health crisis. It's it's not going to be government that does it or some other even a nonprofit. It's going to be each one of us. And to me that's the most important thing that everybody should know and realize. Well, and I think too Maria in the very beginning of your book, you have a quote from Ratan Lal, who's a soil scientist and director of Ohio State University's Carbon Management and Sequestration Center. And he talks about 10 global issues that we're dealing with at the moment. Food security, availability of water, climate change, energy demand, waste disposal, extinction of biodiversity, soil degradation, desertification, poverty, political and ethnic instability, and rapid population increase. And he says the solution to all of these lies in the soil. I think the solution to all of these lies in just what you said, in how we make decisions every day in the grocery store or at our farmer's market. The food that we purchase affects the soil. And you make an important point also in Chapter 2. You say in killing other things, we are killing ourselves. Well, that's that's the big psychological truth of all of this. It's like... We are committing a slow suicide, mm-hmm. a slow and painful suicide, and only we can stop it. Only, only we can choose to live, to choose life. And choosing life means understanding that if we're to, to live, we have to protect nature because nature is what sustains us. Mm-hmm. Nature is what regenerates us. And all the evidence is there. It's all there. You just have to, like, be willing to look at it and see it for for what it is and quiet all the other noise. And I don't know about you, but I choose life. 
Maria, I want to thank you so much. Uh, that is a wonderful way to end our conversation, and I'm sorry that we just have 30 minutes today. But Maria Rodale has been my guest. She is the CEO and chairman of Rodale, Inc., and the author of a terrific book called Organic Manifesto, How Organic Farming Can Heal Our Planet, Feed the World, and Keep Us Safe. I highly recommend this book. I also want to let our listeners know that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri, by Dan Hemmelgarn. Maria, thank you again so much for the book, your work, and for being my guest. Oh, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure speaking with you.